All right, welcome everybody. Thirsty Thursday, number 27. Um, tonight, we're joined with Chief Ron Sarnicky and Chief John Tippett uh, of the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation. Uh, we're really excited to hear what they've got going on. And, um, you know, as always, the great conversation uh, that we typically have. Uh, I want to thank Trevor and Bobby for covering for me last or two weeks ago when I was in Canada at the Dungeon and Dungeons and uh, Dragons uh, tournament. Successfully placed last. Uh, yep. So... You Thanks heard for that, your huh? support. It was good. Uh, it was good competition. Um, there was nobody in our in our bracket, so that was even better. Um, so, with that being said, let's let's kick it off and uh, get this show going because we got we got a ton to talk about, a lot of great information to share. So, Trevor, <coughs> excuse me, Trevor, go ahead. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate it. Uh, like Ben said, we're really, really excited to have both uh, Chief Sarnicky and Chief Tippett on here with us and to talk a little bit about the great work that the National, Firefight- National Fallen Firefighters has not only done for years, but what they have in store for the future and you know, some of the things that they've been uh, you know, challenged with, especially over this last year, year and a half with uh, COVID and keeping things going and keeping things moving in a good forward direction. Um, so with that, I'll go ahead, kick it down to Bobby, and then we'll get to our guests here so they can do a little quick self-intro and we'll get to the meat of the conversation. Perfect. Trevor. Uh, welcome, gentlemen. Thank you very much for coming on. Uh, you know, I, um, I I got involved or met with the National Fallen Firefighters, Trevor and I, years ago before we had the Ocean City uh, Fools Hot training. And uh, and one of the things that really, really impressed me about the organization was we were going through a big struggle in the fire service over what was safe and what was not safe operations. And a lot of it had to do with, uh, you know, people not engaging inside uh, or interior operations and things like that. And I was very encouraged to find out that the National Fallen Firefighters weren't pushing for us not to do our job but more so we're pushing for us to learn how to do our job well safely and correctly and um you know that's um that's that means uh volumes to me for sure uh because you know we're we're trying to make warriors out there and uh, there was a lot of uh a lot of information in the negative out there but the national fallen firefighters um they they were really vetting us they were making sure that we were putting on quality education uh, you remember that trevor um, and they were very, very, um, especially Ron was very much like this needs to be a high quality thing that makes people better. So uh, that was my first experience with them. And uh, just the thought of having a group there uh, just in case the worst thing happens to help the families um, through all the tr- t- troubles and times is really comforting to me that there's somebody looking out for those families that get left behind when uh, when, when a horrible thing happens. So uh Welcome both of you gentlemen. Thank you very much for coming on and thank you, Trevor. Absolutely. So uh, Chief Tip and Chief Sarnicky, if you guys give a quick intro for yourselves and then kick it off, take it where you want to take it. Well, thanks. So first of all, Trevor, Ben and, and Bobby, on behalf of Chief Tippett and I, uh, we want to thank you for extending this invitation tonight. Anytime we have a chance to talk about the foundation, who we are, what we do it, it is a good day. A little bit about me, I uh, started my fire service career as a young volunteer firefighter in western Pennsylvania, just outside of Pittsburgh, and then went to Prince George's County Fire Department in 1978, worked my way through the ranks to chief of department, and then in 2001, retired to go to the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation. And, and I must say that, um, Bobby, you're correct. Some of the, the programmatic pieces are phenomenal. Trevor, the, the relationships we've had over the years. But it's about the people within the organization 
and it's about the commitment to firefighter health, wellness, survivability, to the families, to the long-term care and support of departments and, and the next of kin who suffered that line of duty death. So you don't need to hear more about me. I think I'll let John do a little intro and we'll get into some meat about the foundation. Thanks, Steve. Good afternoon. Uh, good evening, everyone. Um, evening on the East Coast, uh, afternoon or on the West. Um, I'm John Tippett, uh, Director of Fire Service Programs. I uh, started my fire service career in Kensington, Maryland in 1974 as a uh, junior member and high school cadet and uh, was hired by Kensington in 1976 in Montgomery County, Maryland. Uh, spent 33 years there as a career firefighter. I retired from Montgomery County after a, a really great ride. Um, and then continued on to uh, Charleston, South Carolina, where I worked uh, nine years as the uh, Deputy Chief of Operations and a year as the Interim Chief. Um, had an offer to come back to Maryland with the foundation and uh, brought us back home to the grandkids and ended up uh, on the western shore of Chesapeake Bay, which is on the other side of where Ron's, uh, Ron's view was. Um, I'm really happy to have an opportunity to talk about the foundation's work. And Bobby, I really appreciate that opening uh, remark because the um, one of the greatest misconceptions about the foundation is we're trying to do away with interior firefighting, and that's not the case at all. Our our mission and focus uh, primarily is on that that line of duty death when it occurs, and and there isn't an organization out there that doesn't know that better than than Triple F. But we also know that preventing that preventable death has a lot of opportunities. And that's kind of where we're focusing the training and education side of it. So we deeply appreciate the opportunity to uh, spread the word a little bit, have a conversation, and uh, chat about what's going on in the foundation. So thanks for having us tonight. Absolutely outstanding. And one of the things, if you don't mind, just starting out with a little bit of the history, going back to even predating some of the safety summits. I know even out at FDIC, the National Fallen Firefighters was very particular in making sure that a wide swath of the fire service was represented. It, it, it didn't have blinders on when it looked at this. It looked at all different areas in the fire service. And then out of those summits came the 16 life safety initiatives and some of the some of the foundational work that was done. So if you wouldn't mind uh, for the people viewing tonight, give us a little bit of the back history of where we've been and where we are now. Sure, I'll start and then uh, do, do the handoff to John. Actually, it's a very interesting story about the creation of the Everyone Goes Home program. It's actually a result directly of 9-11. Uh, I had joined the foundation in June 1st of 2001. Uh, a couple months later, 9-11 hit and, and the world changed for all of us. And as we were working in New York City to help the FDNY uh, deal with those tragic losses, we were also understanding that we would have to be honoring each one of those individuals in Emmitsburg the following year. And one of the things we realized right off the bat was that there wasn't going to be enough room for all the names on a single monument plaque that has been the historical tradition of the memorial in Emmitsburg, which is located at the National Fire Academy. And that within a year or two, we were gonna be out of room completely based on the current design. And to think about that, a national memorial running out of room for the names of fallen firefighters. And there was an immediate cry to build a bigger memorial. And we did do that. We added to the memorial. But our, our team and our board said, maybe what we ought to be doing is reducing the occurrences of firefighter deaths, of line of duty deaths and injuries, 
so that the families don't have to go through the trauma of losing their loved one and thus the foundation not having have to service that family long term or that department. And so the, the concept was we needed to figure out where the foundation could get involved. And we actually went to uh, uh, FRI uh, that next year, the International Association of Fire Chiefs Conference, and talked to a huge number of fire chiefs there and said, is the fire service really ready and serious about firefighter safety? And I could tell stories about Prince George's and, you know, we, we did a lot of things, but did we really do what needed to be done? Were we ready to take on the factor, the, the, the factions and the common occurrences that were occurring each and every day to help reduce the deaths. And so from that, and I remember sitting there talking to Alan Blue in the scene, and he said, you know what, Ron, it, it won't hurt to try. There are some departments that are going to jump on early, and there are others that are going to wait it out, but you got to start somewhere. And so from that point came the idea of creating a program that looked at the root causes of firefighter fatalities. And so we went back and went through all 6,000 cases of fallen firefighters that were on the memorial at that time and developed a list of root causes and, and said, we can address these. But we couldn't do it by ourselves. We needed to get the entire fire service community engaged. And so that was the impetus to do the first Firefighter Life Safety Summit in 2004 in Tampa, often referred to as the Tampa Summit. And that was when the fire service as a whole gathered. We had almost 300 individuals representing all the national organizations, the various aspects of the fire service, academia, research, uh, all the different groups. And we sat down there at, at that hotel for a couple of days and put together a blueprint for the birth of Everyone Goes Home and the 16 Firefighter Life Safety Initiatives. And we took that information and we went to Phoenix at the invitation of Chief Brunacini. And we sat in his conference room at his headquarters and mapped out a strategy for what the initiatives are going to look like and where we're going to go from there. And, and, and um, lo and behold, the initiatives were born, the blueprint for reducing firefighter deaths and injuries. And then what we did was we, we began to implement programs and activities in our, in our fire service outreach that really were intended to help address what we knew was the root causes of firefighter fatalities. And Bobby, I think that's a comment that you had with John. Immediately there were people who thought, you know, no interior firefighting, all that other stuff. That wasn't what this was about. This was about going in, doing your job, protecting life and property in a safe fashion. At the end of the day, go home back to your family, to your friends and your community and come back the next day to help again. And so we went through that effort and and we began to develop those activities and behavioral health and cardiac and cancer and uh, uh, operational pieces, all the different aspects. And so 10 years later, in 2014, we said, are the initiatives still relevant? And most importantly, um, are we making any progress? And that was the birth of the second Tampa Summit. And out of that came some really unique initiatives that fire programs has been managing ever since. And so, John, I'm going to hand the baton to you. Uh, you can run with everything that's going on in fire programs and 
how that happened from before to where we are now. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about the um, what's happening with fire programs, and it's really an honor to be a part of the, the, the fire programs models. So the, 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 the programs that came out of um, those initial initiatives, Courage to be Safe, LAC, um, and the LEGH program were designed primarily to uh, address uh, the entry-level firefighter that's Courage to be Safe. The LAC program uh, is, is for company officers, and then LEGH is for the chief officers. And those were the those are still our core programs. And then, uh, in addition, stress first aid, um, street smart, um, or curbside manner for firefighters to to be empathetic and recognize that people are struggling as well. Uh, we're all part of those early elements that sort of set the stage for kind of where we went or where we're going today. And um, the the affirmation that the 16 firefighter life safety initiatives originally developed in Tampa in 2004 were still relevant was kind of um, a great validation of what we probably know about the fire service anyway, is that a lot of things don't change in the midst of a lot of things changing. So um, happened to attend a meeting with um, the, the leading injury epidemiologist from NIOSH. And uh, she was really getting beat up by a group of fire chiefs because the reports are considered bland and they never tell us anything new and they always say the same thing. And uh, there's never any any earth-shattering information. And in the midst of all of this onslaught from these very high-level chief officers, she just quietly said, "You're not finding any new ways to kill yourselves." And it was—I mean, it it just quieted the room and it became that point that I think we um, have picked the banner up to say it's a it, it's a fight we can't stop fighting. And uh, the education process, and, and we know we're not going to get to everybody, but if we can convince just one member of a crew to just pay attention to some of the cultural aspects and not be afraid to speak up when things are not going well and maybe uh, pull the trigger on an action that's going to lead to a bad outcome, then, then we've done our job. And, and I think that's kind of the focus of what we're doing. It, as the programs have evolved, we've just recently, um, in, in my tenure, have uh, expanded our outreach to the wildland community because uh, the shift in, in firefighter fatalities has moved from structural firefighters to wildland. And uh, the environment of a wildland firefighter is radically different than a structural firefighter. But it's still people. And there are still ideas in people's heads and the way they think about things and how they approach their work. So we're, we're making a, um, a larger push to get into the wildland community as well. Uh, we've also shifted a lot of our health and wellness programs over to the First Responder Center for Excellence, which gave fire programs an opportunity to work more on um, the realm of critical decision making. Um, how do you get people to get the right information? Um, really steeped in crew resource management, which is a, a very uh, a big, big passion of mine, um, as well as work on officer development because. As, as we all know from our fire service career, the most influential people in the fire service are the company officers. So if we can reach those people, they will have the biggest impact on the members coming in and uh, the, the firefighters that pass through them as they're mentoring people and moving them along. I just wanna, so as, as probably one of the newest members of the fire service in the group, um, the just a couple of things that have already stuck out so far to me is, um, you know, like Bobby, like we've mentioned a couple of times, Bobby's 
a lot of times I think our first thought is when they talk about safety, when we talk about, um, you know, preventing these injuries and that kind of stuff that we're not going to do our job. Um, but, but really that whole mindset has to change in that we, we want you to do your job and you should want to do your job, but it, it's how you go about doing it, getting better training to, to know what you're looking at, to know what you're seeing, to know what you're doing, to know how to react to what you, to all of that, to being healthier, you know, working out, exercising, eating right. Um, you know, I think if we compared meals in the firehouses 10 years ago to meals in the firehouses today, like they're probably different and they're probably better for us now. Mm -hmm. Um, and then changing and adjusting and updating our strategies and tactics, you know, a lot of the stuff, like we've said changes, um, but a lot of the stuff is still the same, you know? And, and I think the, the, the comment from the NIOSH, um, epidemiologist is that we're still doing the same stuff that's getting us killed. Like that, that should blow everybody's mind. Mm -hmm. Like we, we have to change. We have to do better. We have to make ourselves harder to kill. And and a lot of that stuff comes from what, from what you guys are doing. So, you know, you, you talk about making sure that everything is still relevant. Like if, if we're not, you know, we're looking for something new and there's NIOSH reports, we'll see it as, as the effects and as the, um, you know, as we are getting better, like we're, things will change in, in how things and how and the injuries and that kind of stuff will be different. So then we know that all right, we've addressed this part. Now it's time to adjust and, and keep moving forward. But this is uh, this is a great conversation so far. I love just sitting back listening. But those were some of the big things that I saw, you know, sticking out like sore thumbs. So at, at 20 minutes in. So thank you, guys. And Chiefs, I want to kind of circle back to something Bobby had said, and Ben, you had brought it up as well, as that you, when you started looking at those NIOSH reports, and we noticed the same thing, is when we talk about line of duty deaths prior to you know, National Fallen Firefighters being the, the force in the, in the industry that they have been and now are, is we, did, we weren't finding new and amazing ways to kill people in our industry. It was always the same percentages. And one thing that struck me and Chief Tippett, you had mentioned that the company level officers were probably the most influential people. And I would say in addition to that is a lot of our instructional staff as well, because training, and I, I don't know why this statistic stuck in my mind at the time, it was 13% of our line of duty deaths per year were attributed to training. And the caveat to that was, could you imagine if the military or the police force lost that same percentage of people in training, there would be outcry, there would be something needs to change. And it wasn't to say, let's not do our job. It's to say, be a student of our job. Let's look at the programs. And I, I say this like a broken record. Um, ben, those were big vinyl discs that music used to be on, but we'll get to that in a minute. But is that They're back, by the way? Uh, hey, everything old is new. But, uh, you know, I, I, I say this quite a bit that you know, in the now it, it has it has changed some, but for the longest time, in our basic firefighting training programs or firefighter one, people receive at best three, a three hour block of instruction on fire behavior. One of the very biggest things that was killing us. And unless we took the initiative ourselves in our career to learn more about that, that force that was working against us on the fire ground, we just assumed that you know, we would go in, we'd stand up, sit down. It was hotter up there. It was cooler down there. And if we, spun the uh, nozzle around in a certain way, we could maintain a thermal balance. That's what we really knew about fire behavior. And the instructors, we, we would go in and we'd show our magic trick to the kids. 
and kick them out and wish them the best of luck. And yeah, Bobby, you had mentioned this as well when we did our hot training in Ocean City, that the National Fallen Firefighters was very, very specific to say, look, you know, we're all about realistic training, but this has to be done in a way and manner that we're not going to throw a bunch of cowboys out there just hooting and hollering and, and trying to burn the tetrahedrons off the of helmets. What's the purpose behind this? What's the why behind what we're doing? And really educate these firefighters to the way to keep them safe is to make sure that they're educated and they're a student of the game and they master their trade. So um, with that, could you all also talk from the training end a little bit, if you have any uh, pearls of wisdom to share with us on that, how the National Fallen Firefighters has really influenced the fire service training, uh, you not only in our individual states, but kind of, I would say, nation and worldwide. Well, I, I think a couple things, and John, I'll just, just do a little piece and, and, and hand it to you, but some of those programs that, that Chief Tippett talked about last um, addressing the culture within the fire service, uh, uh, those programmatic pieces that really look at those root causes and identify those causal factors and bring it to light. You know, we, we, we talk about uh, the reporting piece. And, and 20 years ago when I started with, with the foundation, and to this day I still have to read every report and make a decision on every firefighter, whether they will be on the memorial or not. And in those early days, I could take those reports and Ben, this is another one of those old age things and white out the name and the department and the date. And they read exactly the same over and over and over. And I think that's what, what John was referring to, that we were killing ourselves in the same fashions. And, and so taking that information and putting it into the application of a training program brings the reality of the business. And it is a dangerous business. I'll be the first to admit that it is. But there are certain steps in that risk assessment piece that has to occur. And, and there needs to be the, the saving of lives and property. But also there needs to be the balance of understanding the potential outcomes and the risk you're going to face in that process. And I think that's some of the training pieces that are really being told to all levels of the organization. Now, I'll be honest, when I started in Prince George's in 78, there was a whole different perspective. You, you know, you light them, we fight them. And it's, you know, damn the torpedoes, full speed ahead. And, and, and I've seen a lot of my friends burn. I've seen a lot of my friends killed along the way. And, and that, you think about that now and you say, you know, there, there's the, the science application and the knowledge base that's out there now would have saved lives downstream. Absolutely. And, and it would have made a difference back then. But, you know, you can't go back. So what you have to do is you have to pave it forward. You have to make it beneficial for those in front of us. And that's some of the stuff that John's doing. So, John, there you go, my friend. No, thanks. Thanks for that handoff. Um, and, you know, on a personal level, the um, the work of the foundation came to light uh, in particular. Uh, I knew the foundation before I went to Charleston. But um, more so when I got to Charleston, because the foundation was there. Uh, I, I got down there um, some time period after, almost two years after the fire. And uh, the foundation uh, provided dollars for us to get our officer development program off the ground. So one of the things we thought, and going back to Trevor's statement about, you know, even the instructors, the instructors are, are typically company level officer rank people. So it's still in that, in that group. Um, allowed us to put together an 80-hour program that was modeled after a program that we had in Montgomery County 
and had sort of mirrored after a little bit from New York and Fairfax County some of, and Phoenix, uh, Arizona, and um, allowed us to start to look at those cultural elements, you know, allowing people to go from um, the right bucket to the front seat um, because they were, they were the backup driver, but their first day they needed an officer was a recipe for disaster. And it's, you know, it's, it's one of those things we wanted to, we really wanted to impact by getting people aware of the, the risks of the job, not to make them afraid of the job, but to make them better educated about how to approach the job. Um, you know, I can't help but think about all the work that's been done by Steve Kerber and the, and the UL um, Fire Research Lab. What they're, what they're doing is, is making, uh, providing information for fire officers to be more effective. Uh, I know in some of the deliveries that we do, we'll ask the question, how many of you want to limit the number of fires that you want that you go to in your career? And the answer is always a shaking of the head. Well, the next question is, well, then why do you not buckle your seatbelt on the way to the call? Why, why do you not remember to put your hood up before you go in the building? Um, you know, how is it that you haven't cooled off the environment before you enter? And it, even, you know, if, if you look at the work from UL, fire temperatures inside the building, 1,700 to 2,000 degrees, your turnout gear lasts about 17 seconds in that environment. You bring the temperature down to 300 degrees and you can stay in that environment for an extended period of time. So even on the narcissistic level, if you want to be a firefighter and you want to be in the fire longer, cool the building off so you can get in there and also make it better for the people that are inside the building. So our, our approach is more about making better prepared, more thoughtful firefighters. So in a whole new realm of delivery programs that we do based on um, critical decision-making and leadership, where we, we, we intend or we hope to give officers the background that they need to be confident in what they do, um, courageous when they need to be courageous. And that doesn't mean courageous to go through the front door. It also means courageous to say, hold on a second, let me, let me assess this and let's make the right decision for the right reasons in the name of making sure I get you back to the fire station so that you can get to the fire that's coming next and the fire after that and the fire the day before you retire. And then you get to go into a long and healthy, happy retirement to tell your grandkids about what an exciting life it was to be a firefighter. That's the goal. Great. And Ron, I, I do have one quick question for you that just came to mind. Uh, you had mentioned the painstaking review process that you'll go through to determine whether somebody's going to be on that memorial wall or not. And you know, I can't imagine you know, that weighty responsibility. Is there any, in, in recent years, we've heard people talk about the difference between maybe a line of duty death and an instant related death and that a little bit of that hair splitting, because obviously we look at our empirical data, we want those numbers to come down, but we've also included many more categories, wildland firefighting, for example, which previously we, you know, in the mainstream of fire service, we really didn't consider um, quite as much, but you all in the forefront of that looked at all the fire service to say, okay, what is impacting us no matter how different it might be from what we're used to riding the big red, big red truck out there. So, uh, you know, how, how do you really decipher between some of that data to be able to put good numbers out to us um, to say, okay, look, you know, our numbers are what they are and here's how we come by them. Uh, so what's a little bit of your process that you go through as not only your position, but as the foundation to make sure that we're capturing all that data from all these different subsets within our industry. Well, as we talk about data, 
uh, you have to go one step further and say, what is the criteria to create that data? And, and the foundation has used a criteria similar to what the Public Safety Officer Benefit Program at DOG had recognized when we were created in 1992. And, and that was when it started. Five years later, in 1997, the, the foundation got together with the fire service leadership, as they used to call it, the, the seven sisters, the, the seven largest organizations. Old term, I understand, it's just a little bit of history and got together and said, is, is this the standard criteria we want for the national memorial or do we need to add anything? And that was when the element of cardiac related deaths, heart attacks was added in 1997. So even though DOJ, the Department of Justice through the Public Safety Officer Benefit Program has not recognized cardiac deaths, we did. But the, the interesting factor, and I think sometimes the confusion is, is that our criteria is used for the National Memorial located in Emmitsburg. The United States Fire Administration, which is located in Emmitsburg at the National Fire Academy, has a slightly different criteria because their purview is on-duty deaths. So if you are a firefighter and you die on duty and you haven't been involved in training, you haven't been involved in a call, no strenuous, non-routine activity, and, and you pass, you're going to get on the USFA list. But that does not mean you're going to get on the National Memorial because our criteria is related to more job performance. And of course, the IFF has a criteria that they use for their membership. And then the NFPA has their data that they report on, and their criteria goes back to the creation of their organization. So there really is four lists that are out there that uh, we try to share information and, and find the commonality of the common ground. But the biggest piece is not all cases are gonna be recognized by all four, just, to, just, just the way the world is. Uh, we've had numerous times where we've talked about trying to make that all work. But when you talk about data, the data sets have been established. And so the, each organization is concerned if they change your data sets midstream, what does that do to the database and what does that do to the researchable materials that are available through their their data collection so let's just leave it alone and understand the differences uh, the other piece is though as a result of 9-11 and you know I, I keep saying 9-11 changed the world for a variety of reasons it created everyone goes home program it also brought to light the issue of firefighter cancer I think that all of us and, and everybody that's out there listening knows of a firefighter that's died of cancer somewhere along the way. And unfortunately, there's a lot of them that have happened. But PSOB, when the United States Congress created that language, said that death had to be a direct and proximal result of a singular incident. And a difficulty with cancer is that it's often cumulative for multiple exposures. So along comes 9-11, and a gentleman by the name of Dr. Howard uh, is, is tasked to do the research on World Trade Center disease and works with the federal agencies um, that are looking at health and human services, NIH, all the different groups. And he puts together a metrics that correlates the building 
products that were in those structures, the byproducts of combustion created, the location of the firefighters on the incident, the amount of exposure time while they were there for that singular incident. And he certified a number of cancers as a direct result of 9-11. Well, that changed again, because now we have cancers being recognized by PSOB as a result of this singular incident. The next step is, okay, the byproducts of combustion in the World Trade Center are really no different than the byproducts of combustion in a commercial building fire in Washington, D.C., or New Orleans, or L.A., or a residential structural fire that has the, the plastics and the, 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 the other products, the cottons, the, all, all those other pieces, the wood and all that stuff. And so I think what's going to happen is the work of Dr. Howard is going to transform the whole view of presumptive cancers at the federal level, and it's going to make it easier for our brothers and sisters to get the benefits they need because of that disabling and often uh, leading to death and um, uh, illness. What the foundation did, though, was the foundation realized as a result of that work that we needed to do something to bring the awareness to cancer. And that really came out of the second Life Safety Summit, Tampa 2, is that we need to look at cancers because it was the one area that nobody's really addressing. And so the foundation has started recognizing cancer cases that are approved at the state level, even though they may not be approved at the federal level because they're not a 9-11 case. And we're adding them to the memorial. We started that last year. And we're using that as another wedge to drive the message home that a byproduct of combustion is a byproduct of combustion, no matter if it's in what city, what structure, it, it's, it's the same. It, it's carcinogens that, that have a lasting effect on our bodies. And so as a result of that, we're, we're seeing more emphasis on cancer prevention, cancer awareness, and that resulted from, really from Tampa 2. And, and now you can't go anywhere in the fire industry without our industry partners, our researchers, academia, all the different groups, the national organizations, all talking about cancer. Now, I do not want to leave out the IFF because they've been instrumental in looking at uh, job-related injuries a long time. And they're one of our partners, and they've been involved in this in, a, in many different factions. Uh, but, but a lot of pieces started really coming together as a result of the Tampa summits and more people kind of jumped on the bandwagon to make things happen. And John, I know you've got you guys have done a lot with, with uh, the cancer work. You might want to add a few pieces. Well, sure. Thanks. The, uh, there's a, there's a cancer Alliance out there for, for folks that aren't aware of it. Um, fire service cancer Alliance, some phenomenal doctors, and I mentioned earlier the First Responder Center for Excellence. That's a, it's an affiliate organization of, of the NFFF. They um, um, and and the work from that started from the NFFF um, brought some phenomenal doctors together. Um, Chief Sarnagi mentioned uh, Dr. Howard, but um, we have uh, Dr. Uh, Martinez in um, uh, Florida. Uh, we have Jeff Burgess in Arizona. And there are a whole um, host of doctors all over the country now that are starting to specialize or pay more attention to the cancer problem in firefighters themselves. So, you know, from that little nugget of what happened in, um, in Tampa 2, 
we now have research taking place in, in universities and hospitals uh, all over the country. And, you know, there was a time where you'd go to your doctor and, and he would treat you for cancer. And there wasn't a second thought given to what your occupation was. But I know from recent checkups of my own, uh, when I go to the doctor and I tell them what I was or, or what I did or what I'm still doing, they, they take note of that. It's, it's not just, you know, it's not just something of a checkbox or, or anything of that nature. There, there, there is an elevated level of education in the medical field about what happens to your body as a firefighter versus what happens to your body in other occupations. And I think that was a catalyst, as, as uh, Ron said, you know, the I, I, IFF has been huge in, in pushing that for, for years. And then the efforts that happened uh, in Tampa to get um, the ball rolling. So, you know, from from that one symposium, we have all kinds of efforts coming out of all parts of the country now. Yeah. And so, Trevor, if I, if I could, just, just to add, John has mentioned the uh, First Responder Center of Excellence a couple of times. For, for those that are out there watching, they may not know what that is. As I said, the foundation got involved in a variety of programs as a result of Tampa 1 and Tampa 2. And, and the three main areas were cardiac, behavioral health, and the cancer work. And what was happening was we were developing programs for the fire service, but we were getting requests from our partners, our brothers and sisters in law enforcement, EMS only, even the health field saying, hey, can you provide some support for with stress first aid? Or can you talk about some of the cardiac issues of uh, the stressors in a high impact area, such as an emergency room? And the, the difficulty was the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation's mission is to support the fire service. But we didn't want to say no to our brothers and sister partners, but yet we were deviating from our original mission that Congress had intended us to uh, be engaged in. So we got together and that's how we figured out that the First Responder Center of Excellence could take on the programming the foundation developed for the fire service and share it within those other aspects of the public safety community. So they're working with law enforcement, they're working with EMS only, they're working with the medical field to say, we've got some really great programs that, that will help you. And so, as John said, it's an affiliate. The board of the First Responder Center of Excellence reports to the board of the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation, but they're, they're, they're two quasi-separated organizations doing their functionality and their program delivery. So I think that, um, just wanted to make sure people knew that it was out there. And they too are 501c3, just like we are. And, and I'll, I'll put the first plug in for the show, but we only survive with the support and assistance of our corporate partners and events and activities and, and also people's generosity. So um, I'll leave that commercial for later. But, but I, I did I did notice a, uh, I guess we've got a question uh, about uh, COVID. Is that, uh, Ben, is that... Uh, what you have there? Well, actually, I'll I'll, I'll be the uh, person to admit I I put that question out there a little bit, Ron. A little while ago, you had mentioned that you, the initial mission, of course, morphs into taking on cardiac related. Now we're talking about cancer related, and I, I hate bringing up the other C word, but COVID. Uh, we're seeing a lot of line of duty deaths now being attributed to on duty COVID exposure, and if you could discuss that a little bit twofold, not only how it's impacted uh, the National Fallen Firefighters, because typically I know there's so many different events that are done every year and you've had to switch platforms, but also uh, you know, it, how you're really dealing with this new way that we're 
uh, actually having fatalities in the fire service due to this pandemic virus. Absolutely. And, and, and you know, when we started the, the Everyone Goes Home program, our mission was to have a 50% reduction in line of duty deaths over the next 10 to 15 years. And there was a significant reduction based on that legacy or original criteria. And that's what we're beginning to call it, the criteria that was in place at the beginning. But as, as we said, we've added um, the, the cancer deaths. We've added the 9-11 World Trade Center disease deaths. So the number of deaths have creeped up, even though the efforts of the 16 initiatives have caused a reduction in the categories that they were targeted for. And lo and behold, along comes COVID. And uh, unfortunately, as of today, 175 fire and EMS personnel have succumbed to COVID-related situations, complications, 175. And of that, um, 123 are firefighters and 54 are EMS-only members. And so that changed the game for us as well, because now we are reaching out to those departments and those families. And one of the programs that John manages is called LAST, Local Assistance State Team. We have response teams in every state across the country. And their intent is to reach out within six hours of a firefighter fatality being reported and provide support and assistance to the department, to the family, to the community, whatever might be needed. And to help with the paperwork, because there's always paperwork related to the federal death benefits. And so the teams have been reaching out to, to these fatalities, both fire and EMS, as needed. And that has increased our workload dramatically. And, and, and for us, the, the concern is, What's that going to do long term? What are the long term effects? And, and no one knows that. You know, you, you see what just happened with Johnson and Johnson and that that uh, vaccine. I've had my two shots and so far good, but every now and then I feel like and there's this discussion of the COVID slump. You know that there are some after effects that after 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 the uh, exposure and I unfortunately had COVID uh, in November. But, but the piece is how it ties together is that there was federal legislation that was passed identifying COVID-related fatalities as line of duty deaths for the Public Safety Officers Benefit Program. And those cases are being processed through PSOB with the support of our last teams every single day. And so uh, that is why we're tracking them and that's why we're monitoring them. And you will see reports by the United States Fire Administration on those those fallen firefighters and then you'll see uh, us releasing information on those that have actually been approved as uh, meeting the criteria for the memorial because the difficulty is every case has got to be looked at it was the was the individual exposed while working were they on a call you know there, there are a lot of cases that there is questions about were they even in an environment that may get uh, them exposed. That That's the process. And that, that happens with not just COVID, that happens with cardiac and it happens with the cancer cases and trauma and, and all the other vehicle accidents. There's a, there's a process, it's a good process. It, it gets criticized, the, the PSOB staff work hard to get the yes but it's still a governmental entity and it takes time for them to do the processing. 
But the bottom line is, is that that's going to affect what we do, and that's going to affect the number of firefighters that we're going to honor each October uh, at the National Memorial. And that's a piece that has a, a bigger ramification because that's that many more families that are going to need support, that many more kids that are going to need scholarships, uh, that many more departments that are going to need uh, grief and, and behavioral health support and intervention. And it's going to be that many more chiefs that need help because their department suffered that loss. And and so we're, we're gearing up. We have to, to, to be able to meet that demand. But we also have to be able to have the resources in place to support that. And that's a critical factor. And that's why we have the stair climbs and the golf tournaments and some of those other pieces. And, and Keith, one, one concern I just want to share with the group, uh, we've discussed this locally uh, as far as the, amongst the chiefs, as far as health and safety, is we've had several firefighters and paramedics who have contracted COVID, uh, whether in the line of duty or else, uh, otherwise, and have been returned to work. And as part of their occupational medicine uh, review that they'll go through, they've been deemed obviously not contagious they can go back to work but they're actually really suffering the long the short-term long-term effects if you will what's known at this point where they literally have been cut loose to go back to work but can't walk across the apparatus bay floor without getting out of breath so then and these are relatively young healthy good shape next generation firefighters but again where we don't know the long-term effects are now we predisposing them to going into that IDLH environment. And now we've, we've really not only endangered them, but the crews that they're with. So that's something that we're trying to deal with to say, all right, there, there needs to be some sort of a um, more of a functional test so that we don't wind up having this very, very preventable line of duty death that is really going to be related to COVID in, in the end. And I know, you know we look at all those data sets and what goes into which box, but uh, we're actually at this point, we're actually putting some firefighters and paramedics back to work because they can pass a occupational med medical facility or um, exam, but really don't have the, the wherewithal to be fully back. And you talked about that COVID slump, so to speak. Um, and so you know, I, I don't want to see that to become, and you really reaching out to the company level officers to, say you evaluate your personnel look at how they're doing and one day they might be bright and shiny and uh, bushy-tailed on the job and the next day they they might be in a position that they're really not going to be able to function well in some of the positions we're putting them in and we have to from a management perspective be able to look at their their health and safety first and then also obviously be able to put the you know the warm bodies in the seats to be able to do the job as well so that's just a a little bit of a challenge to uh put in the back of people's minds, you know, with that. Um, one of the other things, too, I look at is, you know, your all's ability to to fundraise as the National Fallen Firefighters. Like I say you've done so many great programs, whether it's, um, you know, locally, statewide, FDIC, there's always the stop, drop, rock and roll, and you know, all those programs that have been really pushed out. So um, how have you transitioned over into the virtual world, and how much has it impacted the foundation's ability to keep on top of things. Obviously you're doing it, but you know, how, how's it affected you? So th th there's kind of twofold. One, we, we have transitioned as many of our programs and service deliveries to virtual. John has done a lot with the fire service and Bev Dolan, who runs our family programs, has done a lot more with Zoom meetings and uh, team meetings and uh, just chat rooms and, and podcasts like this. Uh, the, 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 the piece has been 
staying in contact with our community. That, that is a critical piece. And we've done everything we can to make that happen. And so we've done more with social media. We've done more with outreach with our web and, and emails to our marketing team. But you still don't have that personal touch. Like you talked about, stop, drop, rock, and roll. And I mentioned the stair climbs. You know, we lost most of our stair climbs last year on most of our golf tournaments. And those provide the funds to support the FDNY and what we're doing there as a result of 9-11, but also programs that were developed through that relationship be delivered throughout the entire fire service community. And, and so um, we took a hit last year financially. It's, it's reality. But I have to say that on the flip side, we weren't traveling as much because all the trade shows were canceled. And so our expenses for some of those outreach programs were reduced. And I think to be candid, the entire industry is looking at that. I've talked to our partners at some of the big fire, fire industry companies and they're saying, okay, what has been our success rate in reaching our customers during this pandemic? versus what was the success rate of actually reaching customers and having an interaction pre-COVID. And, and some of them are seeing some numbers that because people are sitting in front of a computer screen more so than ever, this is a good way for banner ads and other outreach uh, to, to share information. Uh, but also for me personally, it's the personal touch of seeing people face to face. And, and, and shaking their hands and talking to them and having that conversation. But I think that what's going to happen is that the whole industry is going to change. I think that there's going to be looking at the fiscal components of what it costs to travel and what it costs to do those kind of events versus what could be done through, through electronic support. For the foundation, you know, we're, we're gearing up our climbs again. Well, we have a a large cadre of uh, departments and organizations and team members that want to do the climbs. They, they want to remember 9-11. Of course, this year being the 20th anniversary and 9-11 being on Saturday, we're seeing a lot of our climbs scheduled for, for that day. Uh, we've got some golf tournaments that are, that are kind of in the hopper, but um, I'm not sure the trade show events are going to be on the, on the radar for this year other than the stair climbs. And so we have a stair climb scheduled for FDIC. I hate to say this, Trevor, but I don't think stop, drop, rock and roll is going to happen. Just with all the social distancing elements, bringing, you know, a couple thousand people together in a room just probably isn't going to pass the smell test this year. But after we go through Indianapolis and get through that show, it'll only be six months till 2022 when we're back in hopefully the regular cycle of shows, whether it's Firehouse or FRI. Uh, or, or FDIC, uh, the Jersey show, the Maryland show, the New York show, wherever we are, Pennsylvania, we're, we're going to be out there and we're going to be interacting with our friends, the fire service community, and our fire service families through fire programs. And of course, um, the, the families of the fallen and, and their needs through our family programs. And Ron, if you don't mind, uh, also, if you can just clue some people in as well. Um, I know the Memorial Weekend is always just such a phenomenal um, event to go to. And that, obviously, that's probably been impacted as well. But could you just chat for briefly about you know, what the Memorial Weekend is all about and you know, 
really how you're still working to accommodate those families, even through the, the pandemic that we're going through right now. So when the foundation was created, part of their mission was to host the annual memorial service held in Emmitsburg at the National Fire Academy where the fallen firefighters memorial is located. And uh, since uh, 1981, we've been doing that uh, through the fire administration and then with the creation of the foundation in 1992, we took it over and began operating the memorial weekend. Uh, last year was the first year in our history that we had to cancel. And we uh, did not meet in Emmitsburg in person, but we were able to provide a video tribute program that highlighted each and every one of the firefighters, all 103 that were to be honored last October. And that tribute was prepared uh, with a bunch of our team members to make sure that each firefighter was recognized and the families of those fallen knew that we had not forgotten about their loved one, even though we were all in lockdown, bottom line. And just this week, the fire academy has finally opened up with the first class of fire students. They had a test case last week of some EMI students. And so uh, we're starting to see some life back in Emmitsburg. But it truly was a, 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 probably a bad term, but it was a ghost town. There was, there was no fire administration staff. There was a minimal amount of our people there, no students since last March. And uh, I must say, though, that it was an opportunity for the grounds people and the maintenance people and even the foundation to get a lot of the repairs and facelifts and upgrades that needed to be done to the memorial and the buildings accomplished. And now that students are coming back, they're seeing the, the labor of that love of getting some of that stuff taken care of. And so the question is, where do we go from here? And uh, the, the difficulty is going to be what it's going to be like this October, because we're going to have to do a catch up for 2019, which is 103. 2020 is tracking to be close to 100 plus names. But uh, that, of course, is the cancers, the World Trade Center, uh, whatever happens with the COVID and then where we go with um, the the, the traditional legacy criteria. And so now we're going to be close to 220, 230 to honor. And uh, that's going to double the amount of families. That's going to double the amount of escorts needed. That's going to double the amount of time and flags and um, behavioral health intervention programs, family support activities. And so we've been meeting with the fire administration to, to get a sense. Um, are they going to be comfortable in this environment with three, 4,000 people on campus in October. And we don't know. We don't know yet. But we have, like any good fire organization, we've got a couple contingency plans in the works. And we'll, we'll keep chewing at them uh, as we have the decisions made in a timely manner on the, on the things that are in front of us right away. And that first is whether or not what the, the fire administration through FEMA, through Department of Homeland Security, is going to be able to tell us a number of bodies they will allow on campus at any given time. And we just don't know that yet. Uh, I will tell you that uh, we're getting close, though, to a decision date uh, for the simple reason that we have to let the families know, they have to make travel plans, we have to get hotels, airfare, food vendors, all those pieces need to be done because we cover all that for the families. 
if a family's invited to Emmitsburg, uh, we've covered their transportation, their lodging, their meals, uh, all, all of their costs are taken care of by the foundation. And, and that's the way it should be because they have had the most tragic occurrence in someone's life that they could, the loss of a loved one. And we as a nation need to show how grateful we are. And we as a fire service must show how grateful we are by taking care of their needs and make sure they're there for their loved one's name reading. And so we'll see where it goes. Um, our plans are for next year, if you have not heard, to move away from the October date it's historically been in October, but unfortunately that leads to a couple of big things. Uh, the government budget is always a crisis. We've been locked off campus because of government shutdowns and had to relocate to other facilities. And of course, if you've been to Emmitsburg ever, uh, October could be 90 degrees or October could be snowing. Uh, there at the base of the Catoctin Mountains, you just don't know what you're going to have. So we are looking at moving to the spring for 2022. Either way, whether it's you know a carryover from this year or it's it's a new fresh start with with new names, uh, we are looking at a spring event in Emmitsburg that gets us away from some of those other aspects. You know, I never thought I'd have to follow the hurricane trail, but but you have to do that when you're doing an event in October along the mountains. You got to know where those hurricanes are and when they're coming through and all that stuff. So. It's just been amazing. And, and Ron, to your, your credit, something else uh, I think bears mentioning as well, for those people who aren't familiar with the National Fire Academy and where it's geographically situated, uh, you might have accommodations just north of the border in Pennsylvania, and they can have a completely different criteria um, by October than the state of Maryland does. And you know, West Virginia is not too far either. But either way, uh, you, you certainly have your work cut out for you. But you know, I just think it's phenomenal that, you know, all those people and the, and the that have suffered through that and the mission of the National Fallen Firefighters has been able to endure, um, you know, not only through all this many years, but also this global pandemic that we've been dealing with. And, you know, to me, that says quite a bit about the people who not only believe in the mission, but have kept it going. So, you know, I just personally just want to say thank you for, you know, keeping that in the forefront and especially recognizing those families because this year has been such a, I'll just say unique uh, unique experience in all of our lives, but to have to go through that type of um, tragedy in addition to lockdowns, restrictions, and you know, not even be able to probably have a memorial service in their hometown, let alone um, you know at the memorial itself, it just, I think, speaks volumes about the dedication that the National Fallen Firefighters has had to their mission. Well, let me add to that, Trevor, that, that – uh... They're, the foundation is very fortunate to have a phenomenal staff. Uh, the, the team that we have works hard each and every day uh, to, to make sure that the mission moves forward. But we also have a large cadre of people who volunteer their time and services, whether it's members of the fire service, other family members, department members, community members, who, who when we need something, they're there. And, and they do it out of the goodness of their heart. And that helps us to be successful. And, and I would be remiss to not thank all of those individuals that help us all year long, whether it's the memorial service in October or the holiday tree lighting in, in December or class events throughout the year or the walk of honor or repairs and maintenance to the memorial 
to the 9-11 statute, to some of our training programs around the country. It, it, it's just a phenomenal group of people and individuals that are committed to, to the common cause. Ron, thank you so much for that. And Ben, it looks like we're getting up to the uh, point of the witching hour now. If you want to take us around the horn and take us home. Yes, sir. So we're coming up on the hour. So we'll um, we'll go around the horn for our final closing comments. Um, Bobby, we, we got your intro and then we kind of shut you down. So we're going to go to you first. You always you always have some some wonderful pearls of wisdom. Um, so as always, I look forward to what you have for us tonight. Actually, it worked out perfect. I had a, uh, a barking dog going on and lots of things, so it actually worked out perfect for the show. So and, uh, I really wanted to hear what these uh, gentlemen had to say. Um, you know, I'm happy to report that uh, we're doing a, a Firefighter One program here in Maryland, um, and the new curriculum has the 16 Life Initiatives as part of the teaching curriculum. Uh, Trevor talked about... Um, uh, and that's on the new IFSTA manual. The newest IFSTA manual out is actually a very, very solid document. And trust me, I've been critical of IFSTA in the past, but this is really a quality document, including the things that uh, Ron and his team have put together over the years. Uh, so they also have six hours of fire behavior and six hours of building construction, and they have uh, the, the fire stream management things that have come out of the UL and the NIST studies and things like that. So, um, you know, they're not going to be proficient that it is a fire one class, but they're certainly going to be exposed to everything. Uh, so as they go forward in their fire service careers uh, and their vocation, that they can learn from the National Fallen Firefighters and, and other groups. Um, and the only thing I have to say is, um, you know, uh, Trevor and I have taught all across the country and, and all of the instructors have the same uh, frustrations where um, we run into the the traditions that I think Ron alluded to a little bit, I think John did also. Um, and we get the, it's not going to happen here. Um, it's not going to happen here, you know, and, and, and we've always fought fire this way, or we've never wore our seatbelt or we've never done this or never done that. And, um, you know, so Ron, when you close up, if you would, um, you do a lot of going to fire departments for the first time at the worst time. And, uh, you know, if you could just give a message to all the fire departments out here um, that how close they are to needing your services um, every year on every call, um, every response without seatbelt. And if you could just a little bit of your, when you close down for me, if you could just talk about a little bit, just about what that experience is when you go into these firehouses, we've never had a line of duty death or they had one in the thirties or the forties and all of a sudden it happens and you guys show up, but more so to those, fire departments that haven't had that line of duty death yet because i think in the instructional world we share the same frustrations as you all do um but you're the worst i told you so that we could ever see and so um thank you guys so much for coming thanks for all that you do and if we can help you all in any way uh get back in on track um just give us a call and we'll do whatever we can for you but thanks guys thank you Thanks, Bobby. We're going to kick it up to Chief Tippett and then uh, down to Chief Sarnicki. Well, first of all, I want to thank you guys for the opportunity to come out and uh, address the the, um, the the audience tonight. I uh, hope they've taken away some points. Um, our our learning programs are getting back in and out into the field. We um, are happy to come out and do our taking care of our own program, which is the program that teaches you how to prepare for the for that unthinkable. 
And that's a very eye-opening program to fire departments. Um, you know, for, the, for those that say they never thought it could happen here, usually walk out of that class saying, oh, my God, it could be in the next hour. Um, the other programs we offer, attributes of leading um, and the other elements of leadership that we do uh, are very scaled towards small groups. So uh, even though the, 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 the large conferences aren't going on, we are getting into more regional deliveries and smaller smaller group deliveries. So um, we're there and available, and, and we certainly appreciate the opportunity, and, and thank you so much for your support. Um, Thanks, John, and Ben. Yep, thank you. Go ahead, Chief. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. So, so, so John's correct. I mean, that the, the uh, courage to be safe and, and taking care of our own programs really look at the, the yin and the yang, how to prevent, and then what happens if you have one. And, and, and Bobby, to answer your question, the, the, the worst thing for me is to get that phone call from somebody who says, we've been alerted to a line of duty. It just happened in Delaware with a fire police member just, just a couple of days ago, the funeral was this weekend. And, and oftentimes in, in the mid-Atlantic region, it's departments that we know and it's members of the fire service who we interacted with somewhere. But I think John, John hit it off well when, when he said that, you know, people think it won't happen to me. Well, guess what, guys? That happens every two to three days. So statistically, and if you're into the data, sooner or later, it's going to hit every department. And unfortunately, unfortunately, uh, people don't recognize that until it's too late, until it's happened, and that, that's a tough thing to walk in because there there is no there is no real comforting words. You, you can you can express your condolences and express your help and offer, but when you look at their faces, they've had the worst tragic thing that could have possibly occurred to them, and that's what I don't want to see happen. And so, so Bobby, that's that's the piece that I experience or I live with, and and that's why we are so passionate about telling that story, and 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 I don't do as much of the lack training or the courage to be safe training as as John and M do now. But in the early days, I, I can remember sitting in the the Clarion Hotel in Ocean City doing staff and command and saying, "You do not want to end up in Ron Sarnicky's slide deck when he's out doing a presentation on firefighter line of duty." And, and that's what you, that's, if nothing else, make sure you're not in that slide deck. Uh, and, and, and people, unfortunately, even today, send photos of people doing unsafe practices that they know better and, and, and should be doing differently. And that, that's what it's about, giving people the courage to take the right steps, that if they see something wrong, they say something, or they take the right direction and saying, I am just not going down this path the path to a line of duty death. So I just want to thank you guys for having us. And John, thank you for all you do for the foundation. And, and you know, there's a lot more stuff we could talk about, tons of programs, but here's what I recommend. Firehero.org, that's our website. Go there, it's all there. Uh, if, if people want to chat with us, send us an email, contact the foundation. Love to chat with people and share our stories and lessons learned, and most of all, the availability of our programs and services. Because we're here to help you in one way or another. Preferably way before we get that call. Well, and, and that's what I'd love to have happen. Uh, but we'll be here either way. And uh, we're committed. And thank you.
for what you guys have done over the years working with the foundation and uh, the entire fire service community. So appreciate the opportunity. Thank you, Chief. Trevor? You're still on mute. Yeah, I know. I'm technologically, uh, you know, inept sometimes, but uh, I pretty much said it all before, but uh, you can't thank the National Fallen Firefighters enough. You know, Chief Tip and Chief Sarnicky, thank you so much for being on tonight with us to share not only some of the history, but also some of the outlook and the, the windshield view of where we're going. Um, and having the opportunity to work with the foundation, both directly and indirectly over the years, uh, I can't say enough about the work that's being done. And also really the the, the visceral transparency that's there. Uh, Chief Sarnicky, you had mentioned that, you know, yes, now we include these other categories and things happen. Sometimes the numbers go up, but in the categories that we're trying to have reductions, we do have that. And I know um, a lot of organizations are not, or I, I should say would be reluctant to say, all right, we have increasing numbers, but you break them down and you, you, you put them in the factual truth that, of where they are to say, look, there, there may be some new things that are coming down the pike that are going to impact us as an industry, but we're still making great progress in all those subcategories um, you know, to try to reduce firefighter injuries, fatalities, and make us better at our craft that we've, uh, we've been doing for quite a while. So, uh, again, I can't thank the National Fallen Firefighters enough. One quick question I do have, you mentioned a lot of the um, improvements that have been made at National Fire Academy. I hope some of them are in the cafeteria, but I'll, I'll leave that alone, um, you know, past that. But, gentlemen, thank you so much for sharing your time and your talents with us tonight. And with that, Ben, I'm going to kick it over to you to uh, take us home. All right. Thank you, sir. And thank you, uh, Chief Tippett and Chief Sarnicky, for for everything that you guys are doing uh, for the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation, for for everybody, uh, you know, across the nation, for um, through that foundation, and it, it's. I was telling Trevor earlier in the week. I said, you know, I feel bad that you know we've got you guys coming on, and I don't really know much about the foundation myself, um, which is a failure on on my part. You know, I need to look into that. You know, and and some of it is, uh, I would say, a relevancy thing. You know, I haven't had to know, fortunately. Um, you know, we haven't had to deal with something like that. Um, but what I would recommend, and, and now that I have the ability to through this webcast and podcast that we'll post tomorrow, um, right now we're scrolling the, the foundation's website across the bottom of the screen, firehero.org. All right. If you don't know anything about the fire, the fallen firefighters, national fallen firefighters foundation, um, go check it out and go look it up. Um, just in our short hour conversation tonight, we've learned a little, we've gotten a glimpse of all of the wonderful things that they do. Um, you know, one of the things that, you know, as we, as we spoke through tonight within six hours of being notified of a, of a line of duty death that they're trying to make contact with that department, six hours. That is, let's talk about impressive. That's, that's fantastic. Um, so go visit their website. Um, we had a, a Facebook post, sharing the the information for Memorial Day weekend. It's October 2nd and 3rd. Um, again, go to the website, firehero.org, to check out more information about that. And I'm going to plug you guys again. Um, Chief Sarnicky did during the show. We all know that, that COVID has hurt a lot of people, um, you know, and really affected their ability to fundraise. So go to the website. There's a black box towards the left, to, towards the right-hand side that says support the NFFF. Go click on that, and and if you if you can give them a little bit of support, um, everything.
that they do, you know, they, they deserve it. Um, and we, we owe it to them to, to help our brothers and sisters that are going through some of the worst times, um, in their fire service careers. So with that being said, gentlemen, it's always a pleasure and an honor. Thank you guys for joining us. Cheers. And we will see you guys in two weeks. Thank you. Thank you.